Guess what, guys? It's Christmas season. Woo! So we are going to be continuing our Prologue to Messiah series, but taking a little bit different twist on it. So we're going from Jesus in the Old Testament to Advent prophecies and starting the Advent season off this morning. Uh, so just kind of as a reminder with where we've been and where we're going with this, kind of our main themes for this sermon series is that there is a progressive and intentional revealing of Messiah's nature and character throughout the timeline of scripture. Fallen creation still points to Christ in ways that that creation may or may not understand. And finally, that God longs to be connected to his creation. So this morning, we're going into the first Sunday of Advent, and we're going to look at the second coming, right? So Advent is all about coming or arrival or visit. And normally, we use that to prepare and anticipate for the coming of Christ in his birth on Christmas. But this morning, we're also going to be looking at his second coming and looking forward to when he comes again. Um, as we approach this Advent season, another thing to think about is uh, remembering the longing of the Jews for a Messiah. So we've been walking through all of those prophecies about Messiah through the Old Testament as kind of a build-up to this season as well. Oh, hey, I had a slide for all that stuff. Forgot about that. So Advent, coming, <laughs> or arrival, or visit. And now we're going to go into and start talking about the second coming, which is the first Sunday and the first part of the Advent series. And I want to approach this with a major warning, because I want to make sure that we're approaching this with humility. We've gone through and we've seen kind of the reaction of the Old Testament scholars of Jesus' day, and they completely missed the point of the first coming of Messiah. So I by no means can proclaim that I am going to perfectly know or that we are going to perfectly know what the second coming is going to look like if the preeminent scholars of Jesus' day completely missed what the first coming was supposed to look like. So as we go into this topic this morning, I want to make sure I approach it with humility and we all approach it with humility because when it comes to prophecy, we're never going to be able to fully understand it unless God grants us that ability to fully understand it or until he comes again. So I want to make sure we approach this with humility this morning. And I'm going to do my best to not be heretical. And But to do that, we're going to approach it by looking at what Jesus had to say about his second coming. There's a couple of kind of parallel passages, both in Mark 13 and in Matthew 24 through 25, where Jesus talks about his second coming, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. In the context of what he's saying, so this is when Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives, and he's looking out over the temple, temple and he's giving this address to his disciples. This is in the period of time just before the Passover and the crucifixion, so that's kind of at the forefront of Jesus' mind as he's looking at the temple and preparing his disciples for these things. And in the middle of this, he's teaching them about the end of days and what the end of days will look like. And we've talked a little bit about that end of days as we've gone through the rest of our series, the rest of our Prologue to Messiah series. And here he's really talking about the signs of the end of times and what that's going to look up, look like as we lead up to that final second coming and end of days. So, in the words of Jesus, from Mark 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, 
See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And he will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. So when we talk about the abomination of desolation, they often refer to that as the Antichrist. And that standing where he ought not to be often refers to the prophecy that he'll desecrate the temple. So just as a heads up. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor, nope. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been seen from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and, grip and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. And then, finishing up Mark and jumping into Matthew, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to you all, stay awake. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right, so as we look at what Jesus had to say about his second coming, there's a couple of things that we can know from those passages. First, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Unfortunately, pain, death, destruction, all the impact of fallen creation that we see around us is going to get worse before he comes back and reclaims it and redeems it. The other thing we know is that there will be teachers who sound good but are actually trying to lead people away from Christ, right? So it talks about the false Christ and the false prophets and the people who would say, hey, look, Jesus is over there, but don't believe him. So we know that as we go into Christ's second coming and the end of times and the end of days, there's going to be people who are actively trying to lead away from Christ and from the things of God. So it's really a time for us to be discerning and to be on our guard and to be able to compare things against the words of Christ that we have and the words of God that we have and rely on the Holy Spirit to help us discern the false teachers from the true teachers. Sorry, it's fighting me. The other thing we know is that it's not our fight, right? It's God's fight that he's fighting. It says that, you know, when you go before the councils, don't worry about what you're going to say because it's not your job to come up with a way to defend God. It's not your job to come up with the words that will say. The Spirit is going to give you those words when you have to stand before those councils and defend yourself. And finally, no one knows when it's going to happen. You know, Jesus talked about how um, not even the angels in heaven know when this is going to happen. So, as we try to predict when the second coming is going to happen, and you see, you know, this is when the world will end. Most of those haven't come to pass. None of those have come to pass so far. And that's because we can't really know when this is going to happen. That's not up to us to know. And then finally, at the end of it all, Christ comes again and triumphs in all his glory to judge the world. Which brings us kind of into the second part that I want to talk about today which is, why is the second coming even necessary? Why, after Christ came back and dwelt among us and had that uh, sacrifice on the cross for our sin, why is it necessary to have a second coming and for him to come back again? And a large part of that is because God's not done with his redemptive work, right? Creation is still fallen. We still have not seen the final working out of God's redemptive plan, and we see that in Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this, this futility, this brokenness of creation goes all the way back to the fall. And now that we see the full, we see not necessarily the full, but we see the impact of the fall on creation as it awaits for its redemption. So this, the pain that we see, the death that we see, the destruction that we see around us are not part of creation as it was designed to be, and God still has part of his redemptive work that he's working out. So the other purpose of the second coming is to bring about the final judgment and then that final redemption. So we saw this a little bit in Matthew 25 that we already read through with uh, Christ performing that final judgment, that separating of the, the goats and the sheep. And then we also see it prophesied in the Old Testament in Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. I don't know about you, but as we look at politics and, you know, the, uh, the rules and the kingdoms of man that come and go, and there's all kinds of upheaval with that, it's kind of comforting to know that when Christ comes again, that kingdom that's established is going to be one that will not be destroyed and will not pass away. And so then we also see kind of that final redemptive process in Revelation 21. It always makes me nervous when I'm speaking out of Revelation. Going back to that humility and not knowing how things are actually going to come to play when it comes to end of times prophecy. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Since starting work in the emergency department, I have gained a whole new appreciation, especially for verse 4 there, because I see very acutely the impact of the fall on man. And it is so comforting to know that Christ is coming again, and he is acting out his final redemptive work. And that, that pain that we see, that there's, there's no sound like the scream of a mother's grief when she loses her child. And that will be no more when Christ comes back. There is this silent, crushing despair of people who have just lost a loved one, and that's going to be redeemed, and that will be no more. There is an enormous weight that I see in my coworkers when they're having to break terrible news, and that's something that's going to completely go away and something that will be no more. There is terrible pain in a broken body, and that will be completely wiped away. There is an aching, haunting look in the eyes of someone who has just tried to commit suicide, and that will be no more. There's altered brain chemistry of someone with a severe psychiatric condition, and that will be redeemed for all eternity. There are terrible images that are replayed in the memories of first responders, and those will be redeemed for all eternity. Christ is coming back to finish that final redemptive work, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away, and I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for Emmanuel to dwell among us again and for that to be accomplished. 
to why a second coming? Because God is not done working his redemptive plan in this world, and Emmanuel, God with us, is coming back. Praise the Lord. So what? Why does this matter? How shall we live now? So this is from, actually, a quote from an Episcopal priest named Justin Holcomb, who works at the Reformed Theological Seminary. And he says that the gospel readings for Advent 1, or the first Sunday in Advent, call the people of God to watchful vigilance for Christ's second Advent, second coming, and set the tone for the entire season. Matthew 24, 36, and Mark 13, 24, look forward to Christ's coming in glory at a time that no one knows. Christians are to stay awake and be on guard. And Matthew says that just as the flood in the days of Noah came unexpectedly and wiped away those who were unprepared, the return of Christ will be sudden, and those who are not ready for it will be left. Luke 21, 25 repeats the theme of watchfulness, calling Christians to raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Hallelujah. However, Jesus goes on to add that the part of this watchfulness includes introspection. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. A theme of repentance is also reiterated throughout the Advent season. So, you know, I think as we look towards the second coming and knowing that it's not our fight, it's God's, and knowing that Christ is going to come back and fully redeem his world, it can be very tempting to stand back and say, like, well, Christ is coming again, so I don't have to actively work to improve the world around me or to try to make his kingdom come or work out that our, um, what's the word, sanctification here on earth. But... That's not what the Bible says, and that's not the attitude that we're supposed to take as we go towards the second coming and the second advent. The knowledge that Christ is coming again does not lead us to passive watching and waiting for him to come. Instead, there are a series of parables in Matthew, so when Christ is talking about this in Matthew, that encourage us to continue to be faithful as we wait, to prepare well as we wait, and to continue to work for the kingdom using what he has given us to further his cause as we wait. So we're going to go through those parables now. So the first is looking at the faithful and wise servant. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this goes with that continuing to be faithful as we wait and continue to follow God as we wait. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they... They were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So continue to prepare well, and be prepared as we wait for his second coming. And then finally, for it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. 
To one, he gave five talents. This was a, a measure of money in that day. To, one, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He would receive the five talents when at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So continuing to work for his kingdom and use what he has given us to continue to further his kingdom as we wait. So finally, as we spend this season looking forward to the celebration of Christmas and Christ's first coming and his birth, remember this. He is coming again. He will complete his redemptive work in his creation. And may he find us waiting well. So with that, I think we're going to go ahead and bring forward communion. Let's wrap up with some prayer while we wait. While we wait, ha, ha, ha. God, I thank you so much that you are coming again. Um, I thank you for this period of waiting that we can use to uh, anticipate your first coming and your birth with Christmas during this Advent season, but then also as we await your second coming. Um, Lord, I pray that we would use this time well, that we would continue to grow closer to you and become more like you. And I pray that you would find us faithful servants who are waiting well for you. In your name I pray. Amen.